You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello, and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, and on today's episode, I'll be talking to Kelsey Weekman, editor at Yahoo's youth culture platform, In the Know, about all things Gen Z. I'll also be chatting with Kimberly Joy McDonald, founder of Designing Joy, about her predictions for interior design in 2022. And stick around to the end for our next big opportunity feature, where we highlight a vital consumer need or challenge that's yet to be solved. But first, we kick off with the innovation of the week, where we showcase the one big new innovation you need to know about right now. This week, it's a vodka that doesn't just get you drunk, it tackles climate change too. Mandy Saven, Stylus's Director of Consumer Lifestyle, explains all. So this is a new launch from a Finnish drinks company called Kosinkorva. The vodka is called Climate Action, and it's made from regeneratively farmed barley. Regenerative farming is a cultivation method that aims to convert fields from sources of emission into carbon extractors. So the process used by Kosinkorva is helping to sequester and so reduce the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. If all the farmers in the world transitioned to regenerative farming, we could potentially remove up to 322 billion tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. That is nearly as much as we globally emit in 10 years. Perhaps even more pressingly, recent research warns that one third of the planet's soil is no longer able to produce the food required to feed global populations. By creating products that are kinder to the soil, we stand a greater chance of staving off the climate crisis and safeguarding the planet for future generations. To this end, Kosin Korva's goal is to educate all its contract farmers on how to switch to regenerative farming by 2025. What's the truth about Gen Z? What do they really want from brands? And why are they all on TikTok? To answer these questions and more, I spoke with Kelsey Weekman, editor at Yahoo's youth culture platform, In The Know. So I am a writer and editor for In The Know, which is Yahoo's content and shopping network for Gen Z millennials. In this role, I sort of just found myself wanting to dig more into Gen Z because I I kind of felt like media as a whole hadn't quite yet cracked the code on how to t- talk about young people, basically. Nearly everything I would say starts on TikTok with YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat sort of following, trailing behind. It's a discovery platform above all else. So I use TikTok mostly to track all these trends in pop culture, style, linguistics, tech, psychology, all those things. So, I mean, as you say, TikTok is this giant uh, and it's become a giant you know, pretty quickly, really. I'd love to hear about your thoughts on why it's become such a a, a big phenomenon and what it does that makes it drive the, the cultural conversation, I guess. It's really interesting because it is this vehicle, I think, for creativity where rarely anything starts at zero. It's constructed around trends and sounds and basically all this stuff that just a handful of people have created, stuff that already exists, and you hear one clip of audio and you think, oh, I have an idea that would kind of fit with that sound. And then all of a sudden that sound has a million videos affiliated with it. And you can really easily click on it and watch all of them and see which are the most popular. 
and think, oh, I can outsmart that person. I can do something more creative than that. But I think above all else, it's really interesting because it rewards authenticity. Even if you are building off of what someone else does, you have to put your own spin on it. You have to be creative. And that's kind of just the center of everything that does well. You rarely see highly produced videos doing great. Like, you know, there's something about Instagram where the influencers all have these gorgeous photos on super expensive vacations with the state-of-the-art cameras. If you pull out anything more than your phone camera on TikTok, you're going to get called out for it or it's just not going to do well. It's just so accessible. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, authenticity and randomness and spontaneity and, and all this stuff, terrifying words for brands who are obviously, you know, desperate to, to reach this audience and know that TikTok is the place to be. We've seen some interesting experiments from brands, but I wonder whether you've seen anything from, from a brand perspective where it's like, okay, these guys get it. They know what they're doing. And what is it that they're doing that you think is, is so great? I, I, I could listen to a handful of brands that I think like consistently perform well, uh, like Chipotle, Tinder, PacSun for some reason. I forgot PacSun existed until TikTok started, you know, I don't know, they just kind of leaned into the Y2K reemergence. I'm, I'm not sure I know that brand. Could you? It's similar to like Hollister and Abercrombie, where it was a big like mall brand. And they sort of had this like surfer lean to them. But I started seeing them pop up in, in comments because they would comment on TikToks unrelated to mall fashion or surfing or anything like they, they would just be commenting like a person would but with a verified check and a brand name and then i noticed that all of a sudden charlie and dixie d'amelio two of the most popular tiktok users have like their own fashion line there and so just by acting like a person i think kind of sunk into discourse to the point where it went from being something i never thought about to something like, oh yeah, thanks on. It's just one of the brands. Also, I think the Washington Post has done a phenomenal job of making something that is insanely prestigious and a really premium product seem accessible and, you know, being relatable and authentic and all that stuff um, doesn't mean you're any less important. And I think that that's something that they've really mastered. But I do, I have a couple of words of advice for brands who are interested in TikTok, which one we've already spoken about a little bit, which is that, you know, super high production value is not going to cut it, but you also have to make sure to pay enough attention to detail. I saw one makeup brand just get absolutely roasted and because their like their frame is crooked or something like that. And it's like, okay, you know, a non-brand person has access to a phone camera, at least a ring light, the ability to make sure something's straight up, you know, so there's like, you have to hit that bar, but leave your really fancy camera at home because it's not, you know, that's just going to going to push people away a little bit so that attention to detail is really important and also if it's possible let someone who's good at tiktok specifically run your account a young person who is like using slang words naturally because that's who they are is going to be a lot better than a brand just trying to figure it out you know brands that use like slang and lowercase letters and make fun of themselves really really work on twitter 
with millennials, but people can re- just really sniff out in authenticity so easily. So handing your, your account to a 24-year-old may just be the easiest way to accomplish that. Uh, I wonder whether there's stuff that you're seeing now you think, okay, in, in about six months, this is going to change this discourse or it's going to have a big impact on this kind of community of, of people or whatever. I think we're going to see... Um, a lot more of 2010s nostalgia. Obviously, we know that there's like a trend cycle when it comes to nostalgia. Right now, we're in the Y2K resurgence era, but things are moving really, really fast because we have so much access to it, so much information. And the 2010s, I mean, people just slightly older than Gen Z were extremely online. In that era, the like Tumblr era, as I call it. But I think that we're going to start seeing a lot of that come back. A lot of, you know, this is already kind of starting, but I think there's going to be a lot of like justice for the kind of tabloid villains of the 2010s. We've already seen it in Britney Spears. We've seen it a little bit with Paris Hilton. We're seeing it with Megan Fox now. But I think that we're going to see a lot of characters from the past come back up um, specifically in pop culture. Another thing that we are, we're living through a big like micro trend era right now, which we've already pretty much talked about, which is that trends don't last very long. They move really quickly. But when we're in the middle of one, it is everything. I'm thinking of how there've just been so many trends lately where they've had such a hold on the culture for just like a moment that it's been hard to kind of escape that. But these micro trends, you know, things are immensely popular for a moment and then very quickly become basic and uncool and chuggy because everyone has them. So there's no way to kind of assert your individuality or your authenticity um, because you just look like everyone else. And I think that this will definitely be a thing, but I also think that in the next year or so, we're going to be looking for more environmentally and economically stable solutions. And also just like psychologically, it's hard to always be coming up with the next big thing. I think we'll be looking for something more stable when it comes to clothes, buying the hottest new thing every two weeks is like not sustainable for your wallet or for the planet. So that's a big thing. But I I think the thing's going to be starting to be an emphasis of developing your own personal style and personal interest. And that'll, I think, kind of fit into those micro communities as well. More from Kelsey later in the show. Next up, I speak to Kimberly Joy McDonald, founder of interior design firm Designing Joy, one of our stylist change makers. These are individuals and organizations we think are using innovative thinking to drive positive change in the world. I kicked off by asking Kimberly what makes Designing Joy different. There's a plethora of so many interior designers. I was thinking, yeah, what would make me different than them? Well, it really boils down to it's that human connection and how you trust honesty that you automatically connect with your your clients. Also, what makes me different? It is the journey. Design is not only has an impact on your lifestyle and your surroundings and thereby your your whole well-being, but it also is a way that we should wake up every day and be grateful. No matter what we're dealing with, there are still things to be joyful about, particularly even during the pandemic. But so for me, what distinguishes me against other designers is I am quite talented, but I also uh, do like to bring joy. 
you're not always going to have a joyous day, but it is how we try to handle that and at least make their experience joyful. And it's all about them. It's not about us. We're just a person to help them derive where they want to get or help them identify what their style is and ultimately to live in a beautiful surrounding, no matter what their economic status is, and enjoy life. That's what it's about. Also, part of your mission is is championing diversity and inclusion, I understand. So I'd love to, to hear about how that changes the way that you approach design. We can't do things the way that we used to. We need to, particularly in this sensitive time of humanity, where we are finally confronting injustices, inequalities all across the world, not only regarding race, gender, um, ethnicity, but whether you're disabled or not, a social economic status, all age, all of that, that wonderful pool, the mosaic I like to call, is we we know that there is talent and there are gifts within each and every one of us. And if we don't capitalize on that diversity, it does, it does have an impact on the bottom line, which is monetarily. Because all these gifts that, that you get, why would you reject someone just because of one of those classes I was telling you about? We've just published our look ahead to 2022, where we talk about the trends that we think are going to be big next year. But I would be interested to hear from you about what you're excited about, whether that's in design or, or beyond. What, what are you excited about for 2022? I'm excited about that the pandemic has helped us to learn new things. We're going to become even more sustainable in designing with, you know, health, hygiene, energy efficiency, you know, environmentally uh, friendly type of products and processes and services, those type of things. And also how the space actually is functioning. Since more people are working at home, now we're trying to see, well, how does your personal space function? But then since it's a hybrid model, there still are some folks that are going into the workplace. So now they have to re-engineer, well, how is that going to, to uh, work? So we need to make sure we're flexible in both arenas. They will become even more multifunctional. We're also seeing that with the outdoor space, because so many of us were sequestered at home, now we're even expanding the outdoors, indoors. They're using more of the outdoor space to be multifunctional with different zones for entertaining. So that way everyone can coalesce and be together. And you have, again, that synergy, that positivity. And then like in kitchen and bath, you've got different tiles that are with the antibacterial. All these different products and chemicals and things that are going to help us live better, healthier lives. That's what I see on the forefront. Now, the next big opportunity. This is where we look at consumer needs and gaps in the market that still need to be addressed by brands, businesses and startups. I asked Kelsey Wheatman for her thoughts. I think this is actually kind of an unsolvable problem, which isn't helpful. But I, I think that as a member of the younger generations, myself and, and other people, I think just don't feel understood in a, in a way. Young people want basically brands to come down to our level and treat us with respect and like adults and fully formed people and not just like this onslaught of young people who are doing things differently and it's so scary and and stuff like that. I guess maybe if I could boil it down into a point, I would say young people are young people, not just a sort of phenomenon, you know? I discussed Kelsey's comments with Julia Ahrens, Stylus's editor of Pop Culture and Media. So what I think is really interesting about meeting Gen Z at an eye level is I think many brands have a misconception about what their job with new demographics 
younger generations is on social media because it's no longer really about you creating content unless creating content is your job. You're not here to provide them with stories and narratives. What you can do on these newer social platforms like TikTok, which are so much more participation, is to provide them with an activity. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like dance challenges or hashtag challenges, which is the early but lazy version of this, but something that actually gives them a reason to either go out into the world or be involved in, you know, an ongoing activity that is then it becomes a framework for them to create content around. So for instance, Bama Rush, which was a huge hashtag phenomenon over the summer, was really just about, you know, US sorority girls documenting their life that week. And that's how the content behind that stacked up. Similarly, Adrian's kickback, which was a quote-unquote riot at a beach in California, which snowballed out of a teenager sharing an invitation for a beach birthday party on TikTok, was just bored teens looking to have some random fun. So if you launch campaigns that are actually pivoting around this idea of creating an activity, a shared activity, something that people can kind of rally around locally, that's where I think it gets really interesting. So for instance, Doritos had an augmented reality quest last year where they partner with PlayStation and they essentially send people on like little scavenger hunts for AR Doritos bags in the local neighborhood. And then if you happen to be lucky enough to have the right kind of AR bags, you could win PlayStation games on actual consoles. But just creating a framework for people to actually share something physical, which could then lead to situations that have them share their experiences online and, you know, sort of document that part of their life. I think that's where you can still connect as a grown-up brand with younger generations because you're not prescribing what they're supposed to be feeling or doing. That's it for this edition of Future Thinking. I hope you enjoyed it and I'd love to hear your feedback. On Twitter, we're at stylus underscore live and I'm at Christian Ward. And on Instagram, you can find us at wearestylus. See you next time. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.